Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Are you following the herd or taking the lead? What's driving your chronic dissatisfaction and frustration? And how can rubbing people the wrong way be an indicator that you're on the right track? Heroic Public Benefit Corporation founder Brian Johnson returns for part two in our series. Today, we talk about trolls, anger, and using our deep fear of being misunderstood for a greater good. When we see someone do the extraordinary, most of the time we only see the impressive outcomes while the gritty, uncomfortable, awkward stuff stays in the shadows. This series is a behind the scenes look as Brian undergoes his own hero's journey to bring heroic into the world. As a coach, I help people navigate this uncertain, challenging terrain every day. And my hope is that by witnessing Brian's ups and downs, we can take away some wisdom for our own journeys. At the time of this recording, Brian's raising $11 million to get the ball rolling for Heroic, and it stands to be the first company in history to raise $5 million through crowdfunding alone. There's so much more to his grand vision, and you can learn more by visiting wefunder.com heroic. If we're using this motif of the, of the hero's journey, I keep coming back to uh, one of the things that Campbell said on that Moyers program. Was it the power of myth? I, I love that. I love that we're on. By the way, I thought we were just. Chatting. There's no this off. Is great. Like we're. I don't have <laughs> I it off. It. I, I'm I always I was just saying hi to trip. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the scenes, let's go. We're doing this. That's hilarious. Um, I, I remember Moyers, you know, and, and Campbell talking, and one of the things that, that Campbell said that really holds us back from leaning in you know, really leaning into our journey is the, what will they think of me? I remember he said something along to the degree of, you know, we know we're on our path when we're rubbing up against that stuff. Like, what will they think of me? Right. There's that, that identity stuff that starts to come up. And I know that in my own work and my own personal work, but also in the work that I do every day with, with people that it, it keeps us from asking, what do I want? Cause most of the time we're, we're gauging, what do I do? So folks don't get upset with me. What do I do so that I don't rock the boat? What do I do to fit in? And it doesn't have us ask the deeper questions of what, what am I here to do? What am I here to express? What am I here to give, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm curious, as you've gone through this process, as you're launching Heroic, 
you know, what's coming up for you? Have you had any of these moments of what will they think of me? Any of that other kind of that natural stuff that's, you know, part of the primitive wiring that we have to be herd creatures. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to plant my flag here. Now I'm going to expect some kind of friction. Obviously people are going to be excited, but they're also going to be friction too. So I'm curious, have you had anything like that? Can you share anything on that? <laughs> yeah, <laugh>. baby. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so many things, obviously you and I traded the text yesterday or last week rather when we, you know, we launched this on WeFunder and the response has been overwhelmingly positive. You know, we started running a few very select and then a little broader, you know, Facebook ads kind of thing. And, um, you know, got some almost like just, just typical troll stuff on Facebook, you know, just ridiculous, just stuff people would never say. I'm sure this person was otherwise a great person. You know, they're just saying things that you would just never say face to face, you know, and, and just the anonymity of the web, um, which I shared with you. And then also just to comment on WeFunder, you know, one of the questions was just unnecessarily vitriolic. Like you can, you can have a different perspective and not necessarily see the approach we're taking. But it was just, again, kind of proved the whole point of we got to create a different culture in a different culture on the line in these social communities to show up as the best version of ourselves. Um, but it was it was a it was a, I knew that it would be something good for us to talk about. So I shared it with you. And, you know, I don't I don't get out much. I read books, I write, I teach and I do this sort of thing, but I don't use social. And frankly, I, I insulate myself from that. I don't even, I don't need to hear it. You know, I don't need to know what's going on. I know there's different feedback and our team, frankly, scoops up the troll poop is how Austin Cleon puts it and show your work. He's like, look, if someone walks into your house in his words, takes a dump in your living room, they're not welcome back and you clean it up and you kick them out. Same exact thing on social. Someone walks in and takes a dump on your post that you put your whole life into and then they... They come in and they think it's appropriate to literally do the equivalent of what he would describe as parking one in your living room. Like, that's just not cool, you know? And then, you know, Brene Brown talks about this and the vulnerability, as she would say, to enter the arena, you know? And, and that was the hardest thing for her was to be willing to put herself out there. Um, and she learned that she quotes a friend of hers who says, you will never be the jackass whisperer his words, right? You will never convince these people of anything. And she realized she could only listen to the people in the arena with her who really get it. And the reality is the people that are actually in the arena are the last ones to offer vitriolic, vitriol period. Right. You know, they may offer some creative, you know, challenging questions and stuff, but they do so with humility because they know how hard it is to be in the arena and to put yourself out there. So anyway, I sent you that text because I knew it'd be something great to chat about. And, you know, it's one of those like moments of it doesn't matter how much you trained when that happens. It's a kick. You know, it's a, it's a gut punch of, whoa, it takes your breath away for a moment um, of, wow, really? And then it's the very thing we talk about all the time, which is thank you for the opportunity to practice my philosophy. And briefly, one more thing, and then I'll, I'll turn it back. I talked to Phil about this as you and I chatted via text, you know, again, both Tripp and I have worked with Phil Stutz, right? And and um, I share it with Phil because it was like that day or the next day. And he laughs and he says, I'm so happy for you. This is so great. It's a confirmatory signal, he says. It means you're really putting yourself out there. It means that you have chosen to express your soul force. And by definition, that will not resonate with everyone. And then he said, did I tell you the story about when I released my first book? And he had, you know, and I wanted to hear him tell it to me again. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, I released my first book. And whether it was the first two reviews or just back to back, 
one review on Amazon and Phil's a sensitive guy. He's a brilliant guy. You know, he's teaching this stuff, but the reviews come in and it's, it's, you are the most amazing teacher ever. This is the best book ever. <laughs> and then he said, God in his infinite wisdom chose to put right next to that minutes later, you are an idiot. How did you ever get this thing published? You know, and everything is empty of meaning, you know, it's it just that beautiful demonstration that what someone thinks of us says more about them than it does us. Um, and then the final, final thought, Ralph Waldo Emerson, that hero I have on my, my wall behind me. When I meditate now, I, I conjure them as we discussed in our last chat. Every single morning, he tells me, trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. Then he says, for your nonconformity, society will whip you with its displeasure. And I just feel that, that you can't push edges. You can't go out of your own comfort zone without feeling uncomfortable. Then you can't be iconoclastic deliberately breaking some icons without having some pushback or blowback or whips of displeasure from society. So, you know, I expect it and I genuinely value it. It's an opportunity for me to practice my philosophy. Um, and it's also a confirmatory signal of the need for the very thing that we're talking about. Um, so yeah, lots we can talk about there, but yeah, the thing I want to touch on, cause I run into so many guys that get in this place. I don't know what to do. And I think what's most true is I don't know what to do that might, what that'll be safe, right? That I don't know what to do that's not going to have somebody misunderstand me. I don't know what to do that might rock, that might not rock the boat or whatever. So we, we're always looking for the sure thing or the safe thing. And what I'm hearing in this conversation so far is, oh no, we're not going to find this the quote safe thing. There is no path here that everybody loves that we can expect that if we really are going to tap into this part of us, this creative force within us, the thing is bigger than us living through us. It's, there's just going to be people that get it. There's going to be people that don't get it. And we can't get hung up on that, uh, that fact. And, you know, one of the things that I, I remember in one of the conversations I had with Phil was this idea of, are you willing to be hated and misunderstood? And I, as we went in there, I was looking for exoneration from that. I was looking for exoneration. Like, and I remember coming to him and like, Hey, how do I work around this? Or how do we do it? You got a tool to deal with. And he was just like, no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We want to go right into that. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> like I realized just, I just totally stepped right into the trap. And he's like, yeah, let's just, let's just go. You want to, you want that sword. You, you bring it, like grab the sword and pull it into you. And I was just like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And, and that's yes, his tool. That's his tool. By that's the way. his tool. The sword. Yeah. It's just like, come on, let's go. And uh, I, I just remember like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm creating way more suffering trying to avoid this than actually expecting it, looking for it, maybe even looking forward to it as validation, as you said, that, okay, I, I'm, I'm doing this thing now. Um, I'm, I'm curious, though, because on one hand, we can just be like, it can be flippant. Like, this feedback is whatever. I don't have to listen to it. It's not aligned with, what, with my worldview, so I don't, have to, I don't have to look at it. I don't have to take it in. Uh, there are definitely folks that want to come in and just take a dump in the living room and leave. Um, on the other on the other hand, is there a place where we can lean in and be curious too? Oh, maybe there's yeah. something here. Uh, and I well, wonder how we tease that apart without getting yeah. sucked into trying to please everybody. Exactly. Um, so much there. Briefly, so I was actually going to use the phrases uh, or the phrase hatred and misunderstanding. 
Phil and I talk about that all the time. It's what he would call like the hallmark of leadership is the ability to tolerate hatred and misunderstanding because there's no possible way to lead and to actually take a stand without having X percent of the population disagree with you. And it doesn't mean you are living with hatred. It means that you are willing to tolerate that from others as you mature and wisely try to take a course that you believe is um, most virtuous, authentic, et cetera. But that, that is so important. And then it's bring it on. Then um, it just is part of leadership, full stop. Like, you know, um, but to your, your really wise point, yeah, it has to start with curiosity. So Ken Wilber comes to mind. No one is 100% wrong. As he would say, no one is smart enough to be 100% wrong. Everyone is partially true, you know? So I think good leadership is also trying to meet people where they're at and see the truth in what they're saying, while perhaps as a, you know, spiral dynamics wizard, bringing them up a notch, you know, in their, their evolutionary process. Again, not in a condescending, I'm right, you're wrong way, but just in a, I hear you, and this is how I'm seeing it, which... You know, the response that I wound up drafting, we just deleted the the Facebook troll stuff because it was just pure troll. I mean, it was just like, really? Okay, thanks. Like, thank you. Not, not helpful, interested you know? in not interested in having any kind of debate. Just here's judgment. I just want to take a shit on you and for my own entertainment yeah, yeah. type of thing. Yeah, and w- whatever, for whatever reasons, but it just wasn't something that is was worthy of engagement, you know? And then this other individual, um, you know, there, everything has kernels of truth to it, right? Like there's a level of, well, of course, yeah. You know, for example, I'm, I'm raising this money and I'm going to be the only board member at the end of this. Now, does that mean that I'm an authoritarian guy that's trying to do this and do that? Like whatever, a little bit, you know, like at this stage of the business, yeah, I'm preserving that. And it's okay if you decide that that is not something that you want to invest in. Perfect. You know, but then we don't need to start doing this and this and this. And what do we just vitriol that had nothing to do with the thing that, was a worthwhile thing to, to discuss, you know, like there's trade-offs to it and you can have very intelligent people can have different perspectives on it. Let's talk about that. And let's bring our highest selves to it. Um, which wasn't what was happening, you know? And then for me, again, it was a very interesting expression of the very thing we're trying to help address, which is this isn't how most people behave period in any other context. They certainly don't go to their church or synagogue or temple and talking to people and start doing that. Right. You know, they bring their best selves. So how, why don't we create a culture and microculture in the online community where we do that? But then the other thing I do in the morning, after I have a little um, conversation with a handful of my heroes, is I go through the virtues I aspire to embody from the ancient cardinal virtues to the modern science. So very briefly, I go wisdom, self-mastery, courage, and love, which are the classic virtues of all cultures. And then science says that hope is one of the most powerful virtues. Gratitude is one of the most powerful virtues. And curiosity is one of the most powerful virtues. And so I literally say to myself every single morning, God, please grant me the curiosity to be open to other people's perspectives and I, what do we think? You know, not everyone's going to agree with me. I don't agree with everyone. That's okay. Like, let me be open to their perspectives and truly be curious. Not in a, I'm right and you're wrong, but I'm going to pretend like I care about your perspective, but I'm genuinely curious and open, non-defensive, non-triggered to the extent I can be. Um, and then move from there. So it's a deliberate practice for me. And it's actually probably, again, something I'm, I'm kind of most proud of because I used to be really defensive and I'm still, oh, gut punch. Wow. Really? We're we going to do this and 
Let's go outside. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> not even that. But like, really? Oh, it was so clean and just beautiful and pure. And we just did that. And, you know, again, on WeFunder, I can't delete the comment. It's perfect. Okay, cool. Let's walk into it. Constraint of reality. Let's use this as the perfect opportunity to explore these ideas, um, et cetera. Um, and if it wasn't for my practice of cultivating curiosity, I would still be as defensive and I'm not perfect, but I'd be as defensive as I used to be and really brittle and really fragile instead of what I aspire to be, which is anti-fragile. Bring it on. This interaction is going to make me stronger. I know I'm going to get kicked around. I'm never going to be exonerated. And to bring it back to the first part, Phil and I talked about the energy I'm feeling because I'm now I'm putting myself out there consistently, you know, and it's like, boom, 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 and broader audiences. And you know, you're going to get pushed back a little bit. It's easy when I am interacting with people with whom I've connected for years, you know, my community, why we've had the response we've had is, and again, I get kind of a wave of like, I don't even know, like love kind of wash over me is people have, I've affected people's lives, you know, and they've allowed me in. And so there's a deep trust. But when you move out of that, people don't know me, you know, and there's just this response. So it's been really powerful for me to um, deliberately practice it. And I would offer that curiosity to go back to that word you use is perhaps my one of the things that's that's most powerful for me right now, really trying to embody that. Yeah, it's I see curiosity and, and defensiveness on a spectrum, right? It's really hard to be one or the other. It's like, to what degree can I be curious? And, I, and then I'm moving away from that defensiveness. Does it mean that we have to accept what others are saying as truth or, or to give up our own position. And I think that's part of the problem that we have in our culture is that being curious is somehow synonymous with letting go of our position and letting go of our values and what we're taking a stand for. It's like, no, I can be, I can be firm in what I believe, but also open to what you have to say. And then I'm going to come back to what I'm doing and I'll, but I'll be more informed this time. Maybe I've got another sliver of truth. As you say, nobody's hundred percent wrong. I've got another sliver of truth that I can add to this. I'm now I'm anti-fragile. We're stronger as we go forward. Yeah. And then to, to riff on that briefly, use another really important word, which is truth. So the question ultimately is what is our, what is our aim? And my ultimate aim is wisdom. I want to understand and, and, life well lived and live that that life well you know so it's the good the true the beautiful so i want to know the truth and i want to be told when something i may be saying an individual may think is not true right and again that's a really important thing for me to remain open to and curious about and then when that truth and then the goodness which is moral goodness the good the true the beautiful the good is to be morally good wise, self-mastered, loving, courageous, et cetera. The true is we want it to be truthful, right? And again, I lean on science a lot and just what is true here? And then of course the beautiful would be more aesthetic design, et cetera. But I think that's it. Can we approach a conversation where the truth is truly what we are all aspiring to? Then there's no uh, defensiveness and there's no animosity. There's no vitriol. We can sit down and say, well, we're both committed to the truth here. I happen to hold this perspective, you happen to hold that. What's the dialectic? How can we work with one another and respect one another's different opinions as intelligent human beings and then see if we can arrive at a, at a, a closer approximation to our individual and mutual truths? And if not, as Ralph Waldo Emerson say, perfect. I'll respect your path. I hope you respect mine and we'll move on. But we don't need to get vitriolic about it. Like That's, that's the right. beautiful, I think, opportunity here. We can still be good. We can still be morally loving and still fierce, but, but respectful in that dynamic. 
I'm curious to, because this is where we can kind of lean into this vitriol thing. You know, for me, I, I won't, I tend to really avoid the social platforms as much as I can, especially the comments section. I just really don't have a, it's not a high a source of high quality information for me. So I tend to stay away. <laughs> Only you though. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but one of the things is that one of the reasons why is I don't see that there is an intention to find truth. I see an intention to be better or to prove that they're right. It's more egoic and I, you know, it's like, this is my thing and I need to be right. Anything that challenges my position is a real threat to my identity. Therefore, I've got to defend and it kind of comes along this rage that we, that we alluded to, right? It's like, where's this rage come from? And it, it, it seems to really be rooted in the sense that my identity is at stake or something that I really value is at stake if somebody disagrees with me. And so I'm curious what, you know, is it a cosmic rage? Like, I remember, I think you threw that, that phrase at me the other day in a text, like this cosmic rage, like I'm the keyboard courage that is driven by this cosmic <laughs> rage. Uh, I, I'm curious how you see, do you see a path forward? How is heroic going to answer to that? Um, I, that's, that's, I'm really genuinely curious about it because it's one of the things that I just have zero interest in. It doesn't seem like a place where great ideas can be shared. Did you come up with that keyboard courage? No, no, I, did. I don't. Okay. Get, I've heard it a, a couple of times. <laughs> I, I, did, I don't get out much, so you know, that's a good one. I like that keyboard courage. Oh yeah, courage. Like, it, yeah. when you peaked, it's like, yeah, you would never say that to my face. You no, know? and again, not even being a tough guy, you just wouldn't. Like, you just, just have wouldn't. enough decency that like, you just wouldn't do that. Yeah. And it's funny, just as an aside, like, you know, the source of primary source of my news is the Economist, right? So I came on a little bit with the elections and followed that a little bit. Then with the capital issue, I followed that a little bit, and now I'm back to the Economist. But they had this fascinating article that. Uh, they referenced a book that was written on how democracies die, right? Research around the world and what happens when democracies get fragile and fall apart. And what they found was that it wasn't actually the big things. It was the little things. It was the little moments of just common decency, you know, that you just, you just show up and you do little things. And the example they used was after the first presidential debate in 2020, where they were yelling at it, or Trump, you know, was leading the yelling party. Like that is a, is a, just a, a little thing, it's a big thing, the erosion of just common decency, of showing up and respecting your opponent. You may have very different ideological ideas, perfect, but you respect the individuals as your opponent in that, not your enemy. You both have the same goal, which is a strong America that is thriving and whatever, however it's defined. But they pointed out the fact that it was the erosion of the small things that actually was the biggest signal to the real big problems of a democracy failing. And I found that goosebumps right now really fascinating because that's what's happening right now. You have, a, you have a not so subtle erosion in simple, you know, normative behavior of common decency. Um, anyway, kind of going off there, but, but I think f the way that Phil Stutz uses cosmic rage is very different than the normal rage. So, you know, there's road rage, which is someone cuts me off and I have zero ability to control my response. So I make that a big deal and I need to do whatever I do. That's rage in its most ungrounded, unhinged form, right? And that's what you see when you're online in these comment sections. And again, I'm like you, I don't spend, I spend probably even less time online in any place that has that interaction. Um, cosmic rage, on the other hand, is the response to the fact that that exists in our culture. And it is not directed at any given individual. It's a sense of that is not right. I do not want my children growing up in a society in which that is what leaders do and in which that is the normative behavior in these online platforms. Um, and then I'm going to do something about it. I am so enraged by this lack of goodness, lack of truth, 
that I am going to do my best to play my role heroically heroically well to create a world in which there is more goodness and truth. Now, I am not enraged at any individual and even this particular person who or people that made the comments, I wasn't upset about the person. I was upset about the idea that it was okay to actually communicate in that way. That's what just, and that didn't even enrage me per se, but it just, it, it, it makes me want to work hard to do something about it. And I think of our founding fathers. It wasn't, they were, they were enraged in a noble sense, right? And they chose to do something about it because they saw a better future. They saw a better world in which there was more justice. And then they did something heroic about it. And I would offer, that's what we need to do. And then my kind of call to arms with heroic is we all need to step up right now. We all need to step up and have the strength for two, as I say, and the etymology of hero means protector. Who are you and what are you here to do? And for what are you living that's bigger than you? And what do you need to do to create the strength to do something, to create a better world for, you know, our children, for their children? Like, what is it you can do that you're leaving on the table a bit right now? Let's go. And then again, my one of my ways to deal with that why is the social platform and, and creating an environment in which, you know, our terms of use, for example, when you join the heroic platform, literally you will get kicked off the first time that you do something vitriolic and you act in a way that is just standard on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. And the frame I had when I think about this is bring your best self, bring the version of you that goes to your temple or your church or your synagogue or your yoga studio or your dojo, or even the baseball game almost for that matter. You know what I mean? Like just bring the best version of you. Mm -hmm. And if you spray paint the inside of your church's walls or temple's walls or yoga studio's walls, you're not welcome back. This is not okay behavior in that environment. Why is that okay on these other platforms? And so for me, that's a bright line. It's a, it's a non-negotiable, you know? And I think we need to have the willingness as aspiring leaders and, and, and leaders to, to say, this is what's okay. And this is what's not so not okay. And it, let's go. And then you transcend all political divisions or anything else. No, no, no. We all want to live a more full and expressed life and let's do so. Um, you know, whatever, a lot more we can talk about there. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I think it helps to just even name the behavior and say, wait a second, this isn't the best self. I see a better version of you in there. What I don't hear is you acted with vitriol. Now you're condemned. It's like, it's, we, we, we have, we all have this capacity to act with vitriol, but we can be better. We can, we can bring a better version of ourselves. So if you want to play here, then that's the bar. You're going to be bringing that better version of yourself here. Uh, this is not a place to bring out the, the lesser parts of you where, you know, the more primitive parts that, that, that uh, are aimed at tearing others apart or tearing others down instead of building others up. Even if we have a place where we disagree, I can still do it from a spirit of, hey, I see a weakness here. I'm going to bring this point of view. I want to build you up. I've got to, I, I, I'm not here to tear you down, but I see where this idea is weak and I see where it might, it, you know, I've got a criticism in, in service of building it up. Like there could just be like that simple up, down. Yeah. And again, for whatever reason, the, the place of worship is just comes to mind for me every single time I think about this. And I've been thinking about it for 15 years. And as you know, as odds, um, you know, we did a first pass on this and, and that was our terms of use. Then approach this like you would a place of worship, bring your best self. I haven't, I've never been to a place like that where people were yelling at each other. It just isn't what happens. Same people, same exact people. But for whatever reason, the 
erosion of common decency exists on the social platform. And why can't we create an environment in which that doesn't exist? If it can be done offline, it can be done online. It, but, it, you know, for various reasons, including the fact that the economics of these other social platforms are driven by as many people as possible with as many minutes of engagement as possible. So we can sell your attention as fast as possible to the highest bidder. And then guess what? It's the most vitriolic content that hooks the most attention on which they can sell the ads to the highest bidder. And boom, there you go. But if you step outside of that attention economics and you hold a higher standard and you say, look, I'm not going to get paid to hack someone's brainstem social dilemma style. I'm going to get paid to make them better human beings. I'm going to get paid to improve the world. Why can't that be the standard goal for all businesses? And why isn't it is a question worth asking. Right. And this is, again, what we're trying to do with Heroic as humbly as we can, yet as audaciously as we can, of public benefit corporation. It would be illegal for some of the leading social platforms to do what they do if they were a public benefit corporation, because they would have a fiduciary responsibility to more than just their investors making money. They would have to make society better. They would have to make their actual customers better. Literally, this would be a fiduciary responsibility. And it should be, in quotes, again, God bless free market capitalism, et cetera. But I think more and more businesses need to, at scale, embody these ideas and then prove that it wins. Like we've got to win at scale. That virtue doesn't lead to a smaller diminished business. It leads to a more powerful, more impactful, more profitable business where all the stakeholders win. And that's the one of the ultimate games that, that I and we are trying to play with Heroic. Yeah. Great. All right. That's really high level. And I, I want to bring it back down here as we, as we kind of, you know, segue out of this, which is, all right, so what, what can the listener do today? And I'm hearing decency. I'm hearing the word, you didn't say it, but it's sacred. It's like, how do I act in a sacred environment? And uh, we don't have to wait until heroic is up and mature in order to practice this. We could prime the pump today. And so it sounds like a practice that we could, that we could throw out there is, you know, where, how do you act in a sacred environment? How do you act with a sense of decency? And I can hear where folks are like, well, then that means I can't be honest. And I want to, that's usually the thing is like, oh, I'm just being honest. And it's like, no, you're not. You're being aggressive. You, you have an intention to bring people down or to diminish people, which is different than being like, hey, I've got, a, I've got an issue with this. I think it can be better or I disagree or this upsets me. That's different than you piece of shit. You're a, you know, I'm going to attack you and tear you apart now. It's a completely yeah, different one, things yeah. between anger yeah. and aggression and that yeah. type of stuff. So I just want to say, look, look, you can still be decent and honest. It doesn't have to diminish people or try to take them down or tear them down. Yeah, period, full stop. And then, so sacred, yes, and then you can be virtuous. So again, if you look at ancient wisdom and modern science, and you and I have talked about this so many times privately and on, our, on your show, ask Aristotle, ask Martin Seligman, ask any great teacher what the meaning of life is, and it's, it's to become and express the best version of yourself in service to the world, essentially, right? So Aristotle called it eudaimonia, to have a good soul, right? To be the best version of you. Martin Seligman translated eudaimonia into English, named his last book, Flourish. Flourish as a human being, again, as part of a whole. And then you ask him, well, how do you do that? Aristotle gives you a one-word answer, which as you know, is the word that I could summarize my entire philosophy with, arte which we translate as virtue or excellence, but it basically means be the best version of you right now, moment to moment to moment. And then, okay, all that's nice. So I want to be the best version of me so I can flourish in service to the world. How? 
Well, then we bring in those virtues, wisdom, self-mastery, courage, love, hope, gratitude, curiosity, zest, science says, ancient wisdom says, or where it's at. But then you go all the way down to get a good night of sleep tonight. Because if you don't do that, good luck showing up powerfully tomorrow. And it's like the very mundane things that we don't think are important, but are in fact driving the whole show, eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, focusing our attention, turning off the electronics, being present and connected with our kids and spouses, et cetera. It's not that complicated, moment to moment to moment, but we need to step at least an inch or three outside of our current culture and see it for the dysfunction that it is and to see how unhealthy it is, both physically and psychologically, and again, choose to do something about it. And this is brings us back to Emerson, trust thyself. In the moment you do, in the moment you step back and start pointing a light at these things, well, get ready for the hatred and misunderstanding. And then hopefully you have the wisdom and the self-mastery and the courage and the love um, to help do what needs to get done to start changing that culture. But this isn't a new challenge also. Just to state the obvious, this is what all great philosophical and religious traditions have been trying to deal with for 2,500 years. Not new. It's just just exponentially more intense right now with pandemic levels of, you know, not only COVID, but anxiety, depression, cancer, et cetera. We're just seeing those natural, beautiful human frailties just amplified to the nth degree, which again demands that more of us do something about it as a counterbalance to what I would call the viciousness of our world. And that's only answered with more virtue. And it's only answered with more virtue by you and me right now. I love that you said, bring your best self, not your perfect self. Cause I think that's where we can get hung up. I will, I'm not perfect. And we, you know, the blade, instead of turning the blade on others, we turn the blade on ourselves, right? Where we we're you know, we're, we're looking, we're, you know, we create this ideal and we don't match up to that ideal. Now we're just are, are turning that blade on ourselves and inevitably we turn it on others, right? We project it onto others. So I want to just highlight that part. The second thing I want to highlight is that you know, when we start to live this way and we actually start to treat people with decency, we treat ourselves better, we treat the world better. It's like we enjoy our lives more. We don't actually, <laughs> we, get, we, we may get, a, we may get a little bit of like, ha ha, when I, you know, if I got a zing on somebody or cut somebody off, like whatever that thing is that that's actually at a really low vibration. Like it actually just kind of feeds that primitive dark side of us, but it's not this, it's like junk food, right? But the, the really wholesome nourishing thing is like when you hold the door, when you do that kind thing for somebody, when you, when you express gratitude or you, you say what's really, you know, what you really mean to somebody that you love, it's like, wow, we just feel so much more full. In, the, in those moments. And so many of us are like, gosh, my life feels empty and blah, blah. It's like, well, what if we turned, just start to tack more and more towards this decency that you're, that you speak of, to leaning towards more of our best selves, instead of hoping that it's on the other side of a finish line, a summit, that it comes back to just more of this day-to-day practice. Where could I just live with more virtue, as you say? Yeah, no, I mean, again, yes, amen, preach it. Uh, and I would offer, it's not just junk food. It's, it's Pema Chodron comes to mind. It's like rat poison. It is poison. Your, ang- your anger is killing yourself. It's not affecting, it's affecting other people as well, of course, in, in many ways, but ultimately it's unbelievably toxic. You know, so if, if the only self interest is self-interest, it, it take, take care of that, you know? And then again, let's get out of ourselves. Let's create Barbara Fredrickson, the great psychologist, says micro moments of positivity resonance. Those little moments where you open the door for someone or you you engage with the cashier, perhaps at the grocery store rather than look at your phone like and say hi and, and thank them. Like those little moments 
gives me tears in my eyes aren't little moments. Like those, those are, they are it's little humanity. moments. humanity. Yeah, it's humanity. <laughs> and it's, again, it's the humanity is actually a better word even than common decency. But, you know, and again, in a world with so many people and so much information coming at us, it really takes something to quote Emerson again, godlike in him or her to trust yourself. It's, it takes some godlike courage to be able to step out that, that inch, two, three inch separation from society. Wow. As, as Ken Wilber again would say, we're pulled to that center of gravity, which is quite toxic right now. And it takes force. It takes power to step outside of that, to see it and to see what needs to be changed and then have the courage and also the humanity. I'm thinking of the science of iconoclasm right now. Um, Gregory Burns, I think is the guy's name, who wrote a book called Iconoclast that we have a note on. He says there are three aspects to the neuroscience of iconoclasm. One, a, one is you have to have a vision of a different world, a better world, right? Step outside of the culture and see something different. Two, you have to have the courage as you go strive to create that to deal with people that shoot arrows at you. And then three, very importantly, you've got to have, and I forget the language you use, but you got to be cool. You got to have the capacity to meet people where they're at. You can't be the tough guy about it that's got all the right answers. You got to actually have, uh, you got to be trustworthy, I think is maybe the word he uses. You know, and that's hard work to be able to hold that iconoclastic vision, have the courage to deal with the inevitable um, naysayers, et cetera, um, with the, the, the strength of character and the humility and curiosity and social intelligence and communication to actually communicate across the spectrum, both the vision and the steps in the process. Um, it's a beautiful um, book and a really powerful challenge, I think, for all of us to step up and into. That's great. I want to come back to something, which is, you know, there's a tendency when we're angry, like to, to demonize anger. And as you said, anger can eat us up and it can become a poison. Um, and I want to just throw out there that how can we use anger as information, right? How can we use anger as information that is, that is if anger is actually the, the smoke of a deeper fire, which is I'm concerned, I'm afraid, I care about something so deeply, those yeah. types of things, and actually get curious about it again, instead of I just live in my anger constantly. And I'm speaking as somebody who lived in a lot of anger for a long time, years and years ago, before I actually got into this work. And pushed it away, thought it was bad. And so I can imagine like, hey, we're, we're sitting here like beating the drum for being decent, beating the drum for being better people. And it's, it, I can imagine that it would start to sound like, don't be angry. But what I want to say is, let's start to see what's underneath that anger. Let's get curious there. We don't want to bury it. We don't want to repress it because it's just going to stink up the, the back of the fridge like old Chinese food, right? So we want to understand what this anger is and use it as information because to me, it speaks to a deep, deep desire. It speaks to a deep yeah. hurt. It, it deeps to, speaks to some kind of deep fear that's in there. I want to know what that is. Can we draw that out? And then it's something, one of the, then we can get into a place, what can I do with this? How can I use this to create and use yep. that as fuel because most of the yep. time, yeah, great records, great art, great, you know, yep. things are, are, are a response. Like you said, that cosmic rage are a re response to that rage. And it's like, okay, let's harness that shit and let's use it. But we, if we're just going to kind of spray it out left and right and, you know, kind of be nasty and spewy about it, it's not constructive. Yeah, I love it. And, and I, of course, completely agree with, um, and again, go back to Phil because we've been talking about this. Rage is unbelievably powerful. And again, not expressed outward, but just when you feel that anger, that rage, it is it. We want to shine a spotlight at that because it's pointing at an unmet need of some kind. So, for example, personally, as you know, and as we've discussed, what catalyzed my kind of next step in my own 
attempt to evolve um, was the election. So I got up and again, politics aside, right? So I know that X percent of the people now will be like, oh, I can't believe you're saying this. Perfect. Right. So I woke up at 1 a.m. and I couldn't believe where we were central time. And I knew things would change. This is no, I'm talking 2020. I'm talking three months ago. So at 1 a.m. I get up and really after the four years from 2016 to 20, really? This is where we're at? Politics aside, for me, it's virtue versus vice. And again, politics aside, longer chat, asterisks all the way around this. But I had an experience of not only anger, but sadness, because I haven't been able to point to leadership in our country. I have not been willing to point to leadership in our country for my kids. I'm a really proud American. I was, you know, politics have changed, but I proudly wore a Ronald Reagan button when I was six, wrote him a letter, got a hand, you know, sign or whatever, an autographed picture back. Yeah. Wow. You know, noble man trying to do his best. Again, you can disagree on politics, but there's a beauty there. Anyway, I wake up, I wake up, I look at the results and I felt anger. I felt rage. And I also am committed to practicing my philosophy. So I immediately went into what I call targeted thinking. So it's an extension of, um, you know, you can have negative thinking, you could have positive thinking, you could have neutral thinking, or you can have targeted thinking. So when I experience things like that, I say to myself, okay, I feel all these things. What do I want? What do I want? And in that moment, it was unbelievably clear to me. I want a more noble and virtuous world, principally for my kids. Step one, what do I want? You move out of victim into creator, right? Step two is because the victim just complains. Oh, I can't believe this. I can't believe that. Right. If that changed, then I'd be happier. The creator says, what do I want? I I personally said, I want a more virtuous and noble world. And then the second thing was perfect. What are you going to do about it? What will you do about it? Brian was literally the journaling to myself. And it was, I'm going to play my role as well as I can. And in that moment is when all my ambivalence about what I was going to do next. Now, my philosopher, my CEO disappeared literally in the span of X you know, minutes and hours that morning, gone. This is what I'm going to do. And it was a response to that anger and to that rage and to that sadness and to that desire to create something different than it. And then the hero, as they say, runs toward the battle. They don't run away and complain about it and pull the sheets over their head and, and expect someone else to solve it. The hero is the first one to run toward the battle. And for me, that's the, that's it. That's what we do. When we feel that anger, feel that rage, perfect. What do you want? What do you need to do about it? Um, And then again, somewhat paradoxically, in many ways, it's go get a better night of sleep. If you're feeling triggered about all the little things, the same thing that I'm going to go mundane on it. I went big. I can get annoyed at my kids or my wife when I'm tired and the same exact behavior I'll find cute and charming when I've got eight and a half hours of sleep the night before. Ah, that's so cute that they yell and they play with the balloons and they do this and they bang it so loudly. (laughs) Or I can be tired and it's like, shut up, what are you, yeah, what are you doing? You know, Legos are everywhere. Oh, that's so cute. Look at that ship. And again, so again, the the basic fundamentals help us show up to deal with the challenges, um, whether they're mundane or perhaps um, heroically significant. You know, a takeaway that I'm getting there is if I find myself in this state of mind, I find myself in this place where I'm spewing this, you know, I'm in this funk and, I, and I'm spewing it or I'm complaining or whatever. I was reminded of a conversation I had with a guy a couple of weeks ago, I had breakfast with a guy that was in the SEAL teams for years. And he said, you know, if, you, if they catch you complaining about something three times, it's your job now. 
And uh, so it's like, okay, it's my job. So what can I do here, right? Now we're into a, a place of taking responsibility. So what can I do? I can sleep more, right? I got to take better care of myself if this stuff is triggering me. And I love that, that personal responsibility. I want to look at my own nervous system, my own just habits and start there instead of, you know, expecting the world to change and then I'm going to feel better. What happens if I actually eat correctly, you know, and I, my brain gets the amino acids it needs to produce serotonin and dopamine. So I feel better. Right. So, uh, and then the second thing is, okay, what can I do? And I can look at my behaviors where I tend to continue to stoke this disgust and this, this poison in me and take responsibility for that. So you, you're in a position where you're going to go out there and affect the world at this large level. And I want to kind of bring it back to some of us that were like, what can I just do in my own world? And we're back to this place of acting decently and saying, Hey, how do I speak up? Or how do I change my own behaviors? How do I walk that talk of the type of person that I want to be in and embody those values instead of expecting the world to change? And I'm, and then therefore I play the victim because I'm yep. powerless to do, you know, to change everybody on the planet. It's not my job to change everybody on the planet. Yeah, no, change yourself, you know, be the change Gandhi style. But I would also offer that, you know, we all have our, our roles to play and we all have our context to play that we just need to go play as well as we can. But a lot of the internal rage and a lot of the vitriol that's expressed is unexpressed creativity. It's I do not feel that I am doing what I'm here to do. And I have no idea what that is. And I'm so in the echo chamber of nonsense that all I can do is ricochet around that. And just be like everybody else and complain about everything. And I'm not taking the time to actually check in and see what I am here to do and who yeah. I am and what I aspire to do. So I think there is this, and I try to say this in my, we have these investor calls, right? And I start them all with meditations and I playfully say, because all investor calls or most investor calls start with a meditation where you invite your hero. Or heroes a line of coke, you. right? Like which, which, <laughs> so good. Yeah, which one is it? But um, it isn't about me. At the end of the day, this is obvious, but just say that I, the obvious in those calls, it's like, you know, it's easy to look at what I am doing personally and say, Oh, well, he's doing that. Nothing to do with that. Like our URL for the site currently is heroes.us. It's not heroes.brian, it's heroes.us. So trip, who are you? What are you here to do? Are you playing your full heroic game again? Not in a manic, as we've discussed, jackass self-help way, but in a grounded, wise, self-mastered, courageous, loving way. Are you showing up powerfully for yourself and for your family and for your community and your world? Are there some unmet expressions, you know, as Maslow says to me every morning, you have capacities that are clamoring to be used. What you can be, you must be. And he asked his college students, which of you, this is Abraham Maslow, 1950s, the guy who came up with the hierarchy of needs, self-actualization, college professor, he would ask his 18, 19, 20 year old kids, which of you believes you will achieve greatness? And they'd look at him with blank stares. I'm like, well, me, what? And he would look back at him and say, if not you, then who? So I would offer that each of us has, and again, I'm not talking manic, check me out on Instagram. I make this much and here's my Lambo and all the extrinsic stuff. I'm saying you and I, and each of us who are participating in this conversation right now, we're here to do something, you know, and we're here to do something I would offer heroic and protect ourselves, protect our families, protect the values we believe in and create a better world. And I don't, there's no other ultimate purpose for me than that. And then, then when you have that as your compass, you start turning off the TV, you start putting the beard down, you start doing the little things that help you actually get clear and clean on your vision. And then again, that feels good. Then you have a sense of what the Greeks would call euthymia, 
which we translate as tranquility, but it basically means you're being you. You know you're walking your path and you're doing it as courageously, never perfectly, but as courageously as you can. And you tend to be more joyful and more gentle and more a true gentleman, you know, mm-hmm. like a gentleman, like in the, in the most classic sense. Anyway, I think it comes down to that. And that's my invocation is to all of us, including myself and starting with me, who are you? What are you here to do? And what do you need to do to close the gap? All right. I got to wrap this up because I, I I think this is so powerful. We've gone full circle here. So if I'm in this place where I, it, a norm in my life is that I'm a prick to people, I'm a prick to myself, and that's a technical term. But the, if, if I am being this way in the world and I'm being this way with other people, myself, and it is eating me, right? I can't seem to outgrow this funk. It is becoming the norm and it is kind of the space that I'm in. It is an indicator that there's something greater. It's, it's, a, it's the check engine light on the dashboard saying, wait a second, there's, there's something in you wanting to be lived as you and through you, something bigger than this, this place. So instead of it being, I need to just stay here and I got to fix all the problems in the world, it's like, hey, wait a second, let me come back to what it is it that I am here to do and to listen to that, what actually feels more in alignment with me. And then we're back to, wait a second, what will they think of me? What will they think of me when I don't watch all the TV shows or I don't watch, you know, do all the same behaviors that I'm used to doing? I'm, I'm shifting the identity. This is where we started this conversation today. And it's more really like, what will I think of me? Who will I be when I shift this identity from this kind of victim-y, bitchy, negative type person into more of who I am becoming, which is wanting to move towards this state of wholeness, more of this state of love and gratitude and more of the virtuous things that you talk about. But the, it will not be green lights. It will not be like, hey, come on, it's, everything's fine. It's going to be totally comfortable. It will be courage. You will, it will require us to be courageous, as you said. It's not just going to be like effortless and you know, full of certainty and everything's going to work out. It will require work and risk. And sure, what will they think of me? They're, I'm going to look weird to all my friends if I don't do the same things over and over again. So I love how we kind of went back around again, but we're back to that, what can I do and what do I want? Back to those very poignant creator questions. Preach it, brother. Preach it. Amen. <laughs> amen is right. <laughs> can I get an amen? <laughs> Woo, man. Woo, I got the, got, the, got the spirit in me today. <laughs> you do it going there. That was great. That was awesome. Love it, brother. And you. All right, my man. Love you too. I know you got a jet. I got to go too. So. Yes, sorry. Okay, perfect. Learn more about Brian's Heroic Public Benefit Corporation by visiting wefunder.com slash heroic. If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.